Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Genesis. Let's stand and worship. Watching and waiting, 
lost in his love. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house this morning on this beautiful summer day. And God, we invite you here this morning. We know that you came in our hearts, but we invite your Holy Spirit, Father, to just speak, speak to us and sit with us this morning. Father, we love you and we thank you and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing for what I'm sure is to be a familiar favorite and one of the best hymns probably written of all time.
Good morning. My name is Sam, and I'm here to do testimony time today. Um, a perfect follow-up to that song, How Great Thou Art. So if you have something you'd like to share, big or small, of how you've seen God at work, just raise your hand, and I will come on over to you. Who wants to start us off today? All right, this is going to seem trivial and maybe a little bit dumb, but on Thursday night, um, a friend, part of the community, everybody you guys should know him, his name is Dan Kirianu. If you don't, you should, after I tell the story, you're going to want to be his friend, but he was in Austin, Texas this last week for work, and when he comes home on Thursday, he brings with him a warm brisket, fully cooked brisket, Texas barbecue style from Austin. Not only one full brisket, but also samplings from another barbecue place. Still warm that he put in a cooler, traveled five hours with, hasn't seen his family all week, and comes directly to my house <laughs> at like 10 p.m. on Thursday night. And, um, and, you know, we cut up some brisket, sampled a little bit, sent Dan on his way. But it was just like, it was so silly, but Dan loves to share the things that he loves. And, and, and I love to partake of things that people love. Um, I love to share that too. And brisket's one of my favorite things. And it's just, it's silly because the life, my life circumstances, the circumstances of my family is that we can't travel, right? So like going to certain places and doing certain things, we're limited. And so I've been, I've been aware of that. But then just to have a friend who's like, I'm going to go out of my way in order for you to be able to partake of something that you've, you've wanted to and then come and, and just to do that, I, I, it, just, um, it was just goodness and kindness of friendship. And so I was just thanking God for Texas brisket on Thursday night. So there you go. That I saw God there. That's awesome. Thanks, Bo. <laughs> Anybody else? I just want to uh, acknowledge another gift from Austin, Texas. Um, our daughter came this week to take care of Lily so Dan and I could do a little vacation time out by Lake Michigan. And we were both well enough to go. And Lily was fine. And I'm just so grateful to God for lining up all the stars so we could uh, enjoy nature and some friends there. That's awesome. I'm glad you guys got to have that time. 
morning. So I have, my mother is 95 years old and probably in 2013, my dad died. At the time my parents had lived in Phoenix for, I don't know, seven or eight years. And my mother was faced with the question, where do I, where do I go? She decided to come back here to Royal Oak because my brother lived here at the time. And in the year it took for her to transition toward the end, she was planning to move into a senior housing facility. Toward the end, my, brother -in -law, my brother's father-in-law passed away. His wife was blind, is blind. And Evelyn reached out to my mother before she actually came here and said, would you like to live with me? And they knew each other because of their children, but didn't know each other real well. Well, it's been nine years now, and it's been unbelievable. And man, when you talk about seeing God, his hand was in this all over it. These two get along. They love each other. They, my mother's a cook and loves to cook. And anyway, my mother is now going blind. So her ability to cook has been reduced and, and that's okay and she's okay with that. As I, I, I may have mentioned this, my mother's 95. Well, Evelyn is 98. And until recently, Evelyn has been very facile, very active, very much you know, able to get around her house, um, learned through her blindness how to navigate. Well, she's starting to lose that and lose it quickly and she's very depressed and she's stopped really eating very much. And so we're very concerned about her, but honestly, what a gift from God that we did not have to put either one of these women into a nursing home. And that likely we never will have to because my sister, my sister-in-law lives in the home that we all, my family all grew up in. And that we're going to transition them back there so Linda can be with them all the time every day and this is what she wants to do so anyway praise the Lord for his amazing hand thank you yeah amen that's a beautiful story thank you for sharing anybody else hi um I live in a senior government subsidized building and I have for the past few years had a parking place that has been very difficult for me. I've fallen twice there and they, they pile the snow behind my car. Um, it's in a little corner, it's been terrible. So I requested a better spot a year and a half ago. I had to have my doctor sign something. Um, I talked to all the officials and they were waiting for a spot. My daughter said, you're not going to pray for somebody to die or something, are you? And I said, no, I'm not. <laughs> but that would be one way I could get a spot, but we'll see. <laughs> anyway, I was on vacation last week. And um, when I came back, my next door neighbor said I was in a meeting and your name came up uh, for a parking place. And they said, we can't reach her. And she said, I, she's, she's on vacation. She's coming back Sunday. She needs that spot. So Monday night, the person who's in charge of parking came to my door and said, I've got a spot for you. It's up against the building. It's just perfect. And um, she said, do you want it? I said, do I want it? Yes, I want it now. 
So, um, and then uh, a day or two later, my toilet's been stopping up. It overflowed on Christmas day. I've been complaining. I've been trying everything. And the maintenance guy came again. And he said, I'm not sure what's wrong. I'm gonna have to pull the toilet out and go down into the works underneath. So he came the next day and he worked on it. And he walked out and he said, I'm just wasting my time here. I'm gonna give you a new toilet. And I said, well, I asked for that the day after Christmas. <laughs> I, that's what I think needs to happen. It's very old. So he put in a new toilet and it works great. I said, my gosh, it's so much faster. It's so much better. Um, and I recently got a new refrigerator too. And I complain a lot about this building. There's a lot of issues, but you don't have to pay for these things and you might have to wait dealing with the government and everything. But so I've got this parking place, a new refrigerator, a new toilet. So I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'm just fine. And I, I'm just, I said, I should go out of town more often if they're, <laughs> I couldn't believe it because I've been begging for this spot. And every time I see my doctor, she says, have you got that parking spot yet? And I've said, no, I don't. So now I see her next week and I can tell her I've got my parking spot. So anyway, you know, God cares about the little things, like as Bo was saying, he cares about the big things. He cares about the little things and he's with us and you know, that's just great. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Love that. Hi, I'm Karina. Um, I just came back from a mission trip yesterday and I feel like that was a really good experience because like the work was really hard and kind of gross because we were flipping houses for homeless people because like we had to like scrape sticky gum stuff off the floor and all that stuff. But it was still really nice because I made a bunch of new friends there, like a girl named Maddie. She was just so positive throughout the entire experience that she helped all the rest of us be really positive. And just worshiping with everyone was really, really great and praying with everyone and getting the work done. And I just, it was great to help out those people. That's really awesome. Thanks for sharing. Glad you had a good experience. Okay. Anybody else? Hi, I'm Mary, and Steve talked, my husband Steve talked about something that had gone on in the neighborhood. Um, we had a neighbor who came out of her house to go back to work and, and she had passed out. And so we really didn't know the severity of it. And so they, um, we found out later that it was a widow maker and they were able to fix that right away. And now she's been in the hospital, it's a week Friday was all it was. And they said she was gonna come home on Thursday. We're like, I mean, like, how do you have such a horrible heart attack? Well, they, she didn't come home. So she's gonna wait till Wednesday. She's gonna do a little bit of therapy and then she'll come home and she'll have therapy still to do. But what a praise it is to God that, oh my gosh, what, what happened? And that there were people right there because originally the 911 call was someone fell and hit her head. And so they were like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then they didn't realize she'd stop breathing. And then that her heart rate, and they started right in. The sheriffs is who we use in Rochester Hills. Oh my gosh, they kept pulling up and pulling up and they had these different things. They shocked her, the stuff that they did. And we watched it like it was really, really a miracle. And she was supposed to live. And man, they say 8% of people with the Widowmaker um, live. And after that, every vision, it's in seconds. So it was great. Praise God. Absolutely. Praise God. All right. Great stories today. Any others? All right, then I'm going to dismiss the treehouse kids. You can head on back. Have fun. All right, let's stand and do one more song together. This song talks about the simplicity of our relationship with Jesus, and it really is simple. Love only you. 
morning, church. My name is Liv. Welcome to Genesis. We are glad that you're with us. Just a few announcements this morning. Please take a moment to let us know you're here by filling out either the digital connection card on our website on the home page, or there's some physical green cards in your pew. If you are new to Genesis, you can also join our text distribution list where we get information out to you quickly that way. And you can text new to Genesis, all one word, to 94,000, so 94,000. So if you do fill out a physical green card, please place that in the wooden box back at the back of the sanctuary. And this is also where you can place your offering if you still bring that physically, whether cash or, or check form. Um, but thank you to all who continued to give online or via text. Uh, for people on Zoom or Facebook this morning, we will be taking communion. So after the teaching today, so grab some elements in your home uh, during our connection time so you can join us during that time. Save the date. Next Sunday, July 30th from 5 to 6.30 will be our newcomers reception. 
So if you are obviously new to Genesis or you have not attended one of the newcomers reception, um, please set aside that time and uh, we can welcome you then. Uh, as a church, we want to be in rhythms of celebration, and we're currently looking for new ways to celebrate what God is doing in and through us. And we want to highlight some things on the bulletin board outside the sanctuary and cover it with cards that tell stories of ways that we are seeing this. So prompts that we'd love you to be thinking about through your week, and then obviously fill out a card and place that for others to see and read and reflect and maybe think of some examples in their own life. In the last week, how have you practiced being authentic and vulnerable? In the last week, how has someone been vulnerable with you? And just please take the time to add your stories to the board in the lobby, and that's just one way that we can share that together as a community. And lastly, Central Detroit Christian Community Development Corporation, <laughs> long acronym there. So uh, they are one of our compassion partners, and they work to empower people, create positive opportunities for their community, and love their neighbors as themselves. So one of the things that we're doing is helping the kids set them up for success for the upcoming school year, and each year typically we do a backpack collection as well as some school supplies. So we are currently collecting new backpacks and school supplies for ages K through 12. Uh, we started last Sunday, and we will do that through Sunday, August 13th. So two ways you can donate. You can drop off the backpacks. There's a hook and a coat rack uh, sort of in the lobby here, and you can do that on Sundays. Or you can purchase school supply items off of the Amazon wish list. Um, they'll be sent mailed to Allison Kaniza, who will deliver everything to CDC. So making it easier for you, items range everything from $4 to $30, um, whatever you can contribute. And you can look for that uh, link in our weekly e-blast, the Amazon wish list. So take a moment now. We're going to do a short connection time before we uh, continue our service. Good.
Kingston. Well, good morning. Welcome again. Andrew is making his way around because we are going to be taking communion today. And so if you want to grab one of those, that would be super. So he's making his rounds. If you're on Zoom or on Facebook, know at the end of our teaching, in some worship, we're going to respond uh, with communion together. Well, good morning and welcome to Genesis. My name is Bo. Uh, glad you're here today. Uh, so we've been following, it's a set of teachings, it's a calendar of sorts that a number of churches, a number of denominations use just the revised common lectionary. And that sets up a three-year system of scriptures and teachings that is a form of discipleship. It's a form of being shaped by the life of Jesus. Just thank you so much. To be shaped by the teachings of Jesus. And there's, there's a pattern to it that we would be influenced by it. So we're kind of, we've been submitting to that process uh, since Easter. And, and I love it. I love those kind of practices and that. And so today, as, we, as, as last week, there was a, there's parables. And a parable is a very specific teaching of Jesus that really has a central emphasis, a punch to it, decisive action that it's driving to. And today, we get one, we get a really crazy parable for that too. What I think today is so, so important for us is because the stakes are incredibly high with this parable. And it, well, with what Jesus is trying to teach and really what it is, he's looking at a world that is on the edge of destroying itself. With the response to everything that we see in the world of saying that really so many of us can think the only option that we have is to go after and to annihilate our enemies. And so this is this reality today. The stakes are so high. And today, in some essence, we're going to be looking at some, maybe even the problem of evil but really Jesus' response to it. And so this is in Matthew 13. We're going to do a parable today, and we're going to do a parable uh, next Sunday. As with anything that we're talking about, all of the questions are not answered. I sometimes have a problem with that, and I want to answer every question I can think of. All of your questions will not be answered. The conflicts will not all be undone. You might have 10 or 20. You might even disagree. And that is fine. Come with your minds open, your hearts open and active. Write your questions down. Ask God to teach you. Ask for things to be illuminated. And that's our hope today. So uh, with that, let me pray. 
that we have a God who likes to teach, who is a teacher, the spirit that we have. And so let's ask for God's help as we engage in this. So Father, you are a good God, and you said that you don't withhold your spirit. Your spirit lets us know we're yours, that we're your children. Um, your spirit lets us know that we're valuable to us and that, you, that we bring you joy. Your spirit teaches us and it comforts us and it guides us to truth. Your spirit reminds us of who you are. Your spirit is one with you, so there is no confusion. And so, teach us, Lord. Our hearts are open. Let us hear the whispers. Let us take in the ideas. Let us engage in this conversation with you and one another for our good. Thank you for the teachings of Jesus, that we might hear them and apply them. Give us ears to hear. Amen. So uh, today, just a, just a footnote, the, um, as I you know, wrestle and study, I love parables. Um, I have a number, I've read a number of things on it, but the, the, the theologian today that I, I'm going to be sharing real a lot of his teaching, he's an Episcopalian priest. His name is Robert Fair Capon. His, this book of Kingdom, Grace, and Judgment is about a ton of Jesus' parables. He wrote three books that they put into one as a trilogy. So if you like parables, you like to read um, about theology, he's a really interesting theologian. Um, you hear his voice. He's actually pretty funny as well, which usually doesn't go hand in hand with theology. It's usually pretty typically dry, and you don't get to see um, the, like, their fingerprint is all over their theology, but they yet limit their voice, um, and, and he doesn't. So it's kind of interesting in that. So if you're in that, he was also a gourmet chef as well as a priest, and he's written about, like, different meals and things like that. Super interesting. About six months ago, somebody had shared him as a resource, and I picked it up and started reading, and I was like, wow. And so today, um, he's taught me a lot through what the Spirit has helped to teach him and what he had learned. So just wanted to share that. So let me begin with the parable. This is Matthew 13. Uh, it's maybe called the parable of the wheat and the weeds. Is that if that's a little sort of part of a parables of Jesus? Um, and so this is in Matthew 13. In verses 24 to 30, Jesus in Matthew, Matthew records this. Matthew, Jesus teaches the parable. And then Jesus goes on to teach two other parables. And then later the disciples say, hey, tell us the, your, um, tell us what you meant by the parable of the weeds. And then Jesus gives some explanation. So I'm going to read the parable and the explanation, and then we're going to jump into it. This is in Matthew 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull, up, pull them up? No, he answered. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. 
verse 36. Then he left the crowd and he went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. It's another reference uh, to the Messiah, to Jesus. It's found like in Daniel. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The harvesters are the angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin, and all who do evil. They will throw them into, blaze, into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So here we have Jesus' parable with an allegorical, like, almost like an allegory translation where Jesus is taking each part and, and, and giving it. And, and sometimes we read this parable and we kind of think, well, what's the main thrust? What's the main idea? Now, one, Jesus does talk a lot about farming, but if you read this one about farming and about a farmer who doesn't pull the weeds, your first assumption may be a really bad farmer, that Jesus was really good at being the Messiah, but really terrible at being a farmer. Right? But when we kind of look at this, maybe this is it, but Jesus has a theological, he, he has not just theological ideas, he has living ideas that he is trying to get across to us. Because parables are about living so if we get hung up because there is a reality in the interpretation, there is this end times sort of talking, but the parable has very little to actually do with that. Yes, that is something that is going to happen. Evil will finally be done away with. But that's not the decisive action that Jesus is talking about. Because that actually demands no action. But Jesus is moving people towards a very specific kind of decisive action. So let's step into the parable and look at these pieces. Well, the first is about the farmer who's throwing good seed. And this seed, as explained by Jesus, is the sons of the kingdom. Well, how about the children of the kingdom? Not just use gender in there. But the, the children of the kingdom, the offspring of the kingdom of God. This is to say those whose lives are flowering and, and fruitful of what was sown by the Son of Man, what has been sown by Jesus. This is like last week, Bonnie was talking about that the seed is being thrown, and this was the teachings of Jesus, this reality of that, and those um, who hear it and apply it are seeing the fruit of that. These are the children that are being born up of the offspring of God. They're hearing and applying the words of God in their life. They're saying yes to this life, and they're bearing fruit. These children, these offspring of the kingdom, that fruit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and self-control. That's a good seed. And the one who is planting this says they've been planted across the entire field. This is not a sample section that is applied, but in essence it's saying this is being planted everywhere. An offspring of what God is doing is everywhere. This is not a partial sowing. There are no places, no times, and no people 
in which the kingdom is not already at work. God is on the move. And as the story goes, they're planting, the seed is done, and farmers have a typical pattern. They work really, really, really hard, and when the sun goes down, they go to sleep. This is normal. (laughs) This is good. Uh, And as they sleep, the seed does what it does. By all that God has created in this world, they go to sleep. This is not someone who is taking a nap when they shouldn't. This is not someone who is being lazy. This is somebody who is doing what is normal, sleeping. All their duties is done, and the seed will do what the seed does in good soil. And in this parable, unlike the parable of last week, because the parable in last week that Bonnie talked about, she talked about um, seed that is hindered by birds, seed that is hindered by weeds, seed that is hindered by rocks. In this parable, Jesus describes nothing that hinders the seed. The seed is not hindered in its growth by the weeds. It grows. It does what seed does. It is at work and it is moving. It is not in danger. In this parable, from start to finish, the working in the seed is not seriously threatened at all. But as we know in the parable, something goes wrong. It's like good drama. Conflict. The man's enemy comes and he sows weeds. Yet, the weeds don't interfere with the growth of the wheat. So it's not that they're interfering, but the word that should grab us is enemy. There's an enemy who sows weeds. So I'm just going to throw out this idea that you begin to wrestle with right here and now. About potentially what's the thrust of this. As Jesus tells us, the thrust that is until the harvest, that evil is to be suffered. Maybe put another way, that evil is to be not resisted until the harvest. That doing nothing for the time being could be the preferred response to evil. And even as I say it and read it, it sounds so almost wrong. So let's sit with it and dig into this more and to see if we can wrestle with what Jesus is saying. So an enemy sows weeds. Um, now, the, the, the word, and there's a, you know, the words in, in Greek and that, but the, but the very specific word that he uses for the weed is a word called darnel. I don't know if I'm saying it right, but darnel. But this weed, actually, it's a grass and it looks exactly like wheat. So this isn't like the weeds that we have when we plant in our own gardens that pop up and like, well, yeah, I know it looks so different than this fruit-bearing produce that we have, the things that are coming up. But this wheat doesn't. It actually looks exactly, from those early stages, like the wheat. So how confusing. It imitates it. It is right there among it. And it looks so much like wheat, but it isn't. It's an imitation. But it's hard to recognize the difference until the harvest. 
And so that question, should we go, should we go after this evil and pull it up? But yet, in this parable, it says all that's going to accomplish is that the wheat will get pulled up right alongside of the weeds. It's going to cause actually more harm than good. And so how true it is that good and evil so commonly sort of live and, and, and inhabit not only the same field, but in the same individuals. And each of us kind of see this, this, in, this, inhabit, this inhabiting of the world, that everywhere we look, there's pictures of good and evil. And for many of you who know yourselves well, you know that in you seems to be birthed out of you good and things that are beautiful that go in the stream and along with love and yet other things that seem to be in conflict with it in us. That those things are there. And yet, if we were to go after and pull up all the weeds, it seems like the only result of such an activity, this campaign to get rid of evil, would be the destruction of literally everyone. And what I find about that reality of what Jesus is saying is that if you go after the weeds, you're going to bring, you're going to hurt the weed as well. You're going to bring destruction to everyone. And what's so interesting about that idea is that it begins to potentially show the plan of the enemy. What the scheme is. What does the enemy want to happen? The enemy wants to destroy everybody. It wants everyone who bears the mark and the likeness and the goodness of God to be utterly destroyed. And if an enemy can get each other and these who bear the mark and the goodness and the beauty of God to actually destroy each other in the name of goodness, what pleasure and delight does that bring the enemy? Because in the end, destruction is his aim. Jesus in another teaching of his, he's, he was talking about sheep and shepherds and wolves. And he said, yeah, there, there's an enemy, and this enemy only wants, the thief only wants to kill, steal, and destroy. Destruction in his aim. But the good shepherd comes to give life, will lay down his life. I find that so interesting to understand this scheme is really to recruit even the people of goodness or the people of the kingdom to do the work of destroying others. And in so many ways, this enemy depends on the forces of goodness. That if somehow he can sucker them into taking up arms in this moment of confusion that he has, that he has introduced, then he's done his job. I was thinking about, in the Bible, it tells these two stories, and especially in the life of Jesus, in the last week of Jesus, of two of Jesus' disciples who um, 
at certain times could be said they were both influenced by the enemy, Peter and Judas. And the aim of the devil in both of them. We kind of know Peter went on to like really be involved in the, church, in, the, in the planting of this new community of people. Judas takes his life. But both of them are being influenced by the evil one, the enemy. Both of them betrayed Jesus in the end, denied they even knew him. I mean, Judas didn't deny he knew him. He just sold him out. He betrayed him. Peter denied that he even knew him and sold him out and fled from him. Both of them, both of them failed. Even, even before when Jesus is telling them the plan of what God is doing in, in his plan for his life, Peter is like rebukes Jesus and says, stop. What are you talking about dying? You need, you need to cut this out. You need to get your messaging back on point. By no means you're going to do this. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> get behind me, stumbling block. But, but is, is God's plan to annihilate either of them? Not at all. But the enemy wants to annihilate them. I mean, Jesus even tells Peter so. He's like, man, the enemy wants to sift you like wheat. But Jesus knows the better plan. like, but when you return, strengthen your brothers. In the end, both of them betray Jesus, but one of them buys into this reality and this lie of the weeds in their own life and takes their life. Judas. I mean, I have any of you just, when you see the own weeds in your life, just feel so distraught and you're like, I am utterly terrible. And you, you and, and, these weeds in me, I, we just must be eradicated. And that's what Judas was thinking. He bought into the lie. What, what destruction he wanted to bring his destruction. Had Judas not done that, he would have heard the words of Jesus as he was on the cross. Forgive them. But when it comes to the evil that he even partook in, the evil that was with him, the only option that he saw from a liar was for his life to be done. Eradicating the evil, even with un, in us through some sort of physical harm or in others, is not what Jesus is inviting us or others to do. So how interesting, when the enemy comes and he plants this seed, the enemy plants the seed and goes away because their work is done. That's all they're trying to do. I'm going to throw this distraction and all these things in their way and see if they'll bite onto it, see if they'll pursue it, to see that by this just turmoil, if they will destroy themselves or others goes away. If goodness is committed to strong-arm methods, in the name of goodness, it will do all and more than, than that evil ever had in mind. 
And so as we talk about resisting, this is really interesting. It's complex. Resisting evil is not morally wrong. But when Jesus is talking about the kind of resistance that you'll go after to eradicate it, he's just saying it will not produce the result that you think you're getting. It will, it will not make this world better. It will actually cause just as much harm. This doesn't mean that we're not to bring healing and to call out evil as we see it. But he's talking about these methods to go and to pull it up and to eradicate it, to use the same methods of this world. Should we go after it? And Jesus is saying, no. So the enemy comes, he plants the weeds, but here's the truth. The wheat is sprouting. It's growing. It's bearing its fruit. And so we look and say, oh, what God is planting, the children, they are doing what the children do. They're bearing the fruit. This is the mystery of the kingdom. It's sprouting. It's coming up quite fine on its own. But in the same sentence, so is the weed. And this is so much the trouble of the world that we see it, isn't it? This is the conflict. That we can see this good that's bearing up. And this is why we tell the stories in testimony time. To shape and to remind ourselves of what God is doing and the fruit that is being born in each one of us by the seed that has been planted in God's good work. It's bearing fruit. But also we know the weeds are growing too. As the story goes on, the servants come to the farmer and they're totally preoccupied with the problem of evil. In this parable, it starts to bring this and here's the question. They say, didn't you plant good seed? Well, how did this get here? Wow, that's a question about evil being here, isn't it? They're preoccupied with that question. Where did this come from? Their question to, to the farmer was like, you sowed good seed, right? Well, where'd the weeds come from? So the first response is not about what they should do or how they should act in the presence of evil, but looking to understand where it came from. And many of us do the same thing. How did this happen? Why is this all around? Where is this coming from? Why does God allow these terrible things to happen? And there are answers. They just often lead to a lot more questions and to potential a lot more confusion. We can just name a few of them. Why does God allow these terrible things to happen. Why does God allow evil? Can we think of a few answers to that question? Well, how about God's not good? And because if God's not good, how can we expect the world to be good? 
that's an answer. Well, how about another answer? God's good, but he's just kind of incompetent or not all-powerful or not wise or all-smart, whatever, whatever it's needed to be. Like that, that's an answer to that question. Or God's good, third answer to this, and, and clever and smart and powerful, whatever adjectives that you want to add in there into the mix, but for some reason God has enemies. So just with those three, did any of those answers actually solve anything about what we are to do in the presence of evil? No, they just kind of like want to reverse engineer and, and get to some spot that we can understand. None of these actually do anything to address evil. They just lead to more questions. Not that they're wrong. These are not wrong to ask them, but they, they don't drive towards the action as this parable is trying to drive it to. And so the servants start there. They ask the question, but they do not go down this blind theological alley. They then turn and say, they ask about what steps they should take. See, Scripture does give some answers. Well, maybe, maybe one. I mean, you can wrestle to see what, what Scripture, what the, what the text says about, about evil and how it got here. But the best and the clearest response is the one we get in this parable. How did it get here? An enemy planted it. It was an enemy. That's the answer. How did it get here? An enemy put it here. So that's an answer to a question, but it leads to more questions. And in some way, to that response of an enemy putting there, and in this parable, there's two more questions that the farmer is going to be asking, in essence. The question will be, whose side are you on? And then what method will you do to engage this? What methods will you use in order to respond to this evil that has been thrust forth. Meaning, an enemy has done that. Whose side are you on? Are you, are you going to be on the side of the one who's planting seeds that lead to joy, goodness, kindness, or the kind of seeds that lead to evil, the enemy? And so there's like, an enemy has done this, and their friends respond, all right, what should we do? So they're like, yeah, we're with you. What should we do? Should we go there and tear it up? And immediately the farmer is saying, no. And his word is, let it be. Now, this is where it gets so interesting. And the theologians and people who have studied this, man, they look at every word and they, they're just trying to be like, what does he mean? Let it be. Someone said, suffer it. Let it be. Don't, don't resist it. But let it be. Let it grow up. You know what's also really interesting about that word? That word is the same Greek word for forgive. And though, you know, half the time it's very clear in the context a difference between when forgiveness is the drive or when let it be 
you know, don't, don't fight it, is the context. But you can't help the pun of that moment, if it is of the Spirit that's writing, let it be, in essence of this, is a form of forgiveness, is a form of that in reality of to suffer and to forgive, letting be. And don't attack it and to annihilate it with everything you have. The farmer's answer to the Alice, to, I'm sorry, to the malice of the enemy, let it be, forgive. This evil that is present in your lives and in my life, in this real world, in this real time, is not to be dealt with by attacking or abolishing the things or person in whom it dwells. But rather is to be dealt with only by a letting be that is forgiveness, that is suffering, that's even in some way permission rolled into one. Is this just playing the sucker? And this is where, in this parable, we have to look a little further into the life of Jesus to let even the life of Jesus bother us and to shape this teaching as well. Then when we see the world and what the devil thought about Jesus who died on the cross, what did the world think of Jesus who allowed his enemies to utterly, for sin, to utterly do what sin would do and to allow himself to be annihilated by his enemies and not nuke them and not utterly destroy them. In so many words, even the beginning, he let them know, you're going to kill me. And he wasn't going to resist it. He wasn't going to fight against that evil, what sin was going to do in his life against him. In the same way, it seems like this farmer announces to everybody saying, okay, we're going to announce out loud that if an enemy plants weeds, we're going to let them be. You wonder if that influences the enemy anymore to be planting more and more weeds. But yet we continue to look at the ministry and the life of Jesus and his death. And God announced the very same thing. That no enemy, or not the devil, nor you or me, are going to get annihilated. In this life, not, by, not in response, right? By not God, for any evil that they have done. It's not going to be this swift hand of God saying, that doesn't mean there's not consequences. We've talked about that. But you go down the, you, you, go, you pick up the sword, you're going to die by the sword. That, that is, that's the consequence. Right? That's this reality of what's going to play in this. But not at God's hand. 
There's natural laws that are going to play, but God isn't the one who's going to say, hey, I'm going to go after my enemies and annihilate them, because this is not what happened in the person of Jesus. You got to look at the story. What did Jesus do? So yeah, he dies, um, and even on the cross as they're doing it, he speaks this word. And the word he speaks is, let it be. Forgive them. They know not what they do. A decisive word in that moment. Forgive them. They know not what they do. And then he's laid in a tomb. And by the power and the beauty, death is conquered and Jesus is raised from the dead. And the disciples pick up swords and kill everyone who had something to do with this, right? I mean, that's a story. Only because it seems, it seems like somebody would have died. Somebody would have picked up a sword and went after one of these enemies. Not one of them. The only one who brings harm, whose harm comes upon them is Judas, and he does it to himself by a lie of the enemy. So when Jesus raises from the dead, does, does God or anyone go against this word of forgive them? They know not what they do. Nope. Not one. We have to look at that and think, wow, this is really the thrust of the gospel. Yes, there is a reality of evil being done away with. But Jesus is not getting us, not telling us stories that we salivate about who's going to get it in the end. Because in the life and the stories of Jesus, it's continually about one who says, forgive him. And those proclaim, and let the wheat be wheat grow up in the midst of evil and let your light shine. The evil cannot hinder what God is doing in you. Do not try to obliterate it with violence or force in you or in others. The majority of this parable is about letting be and forgiving evil, not about avenging it. And yes, Jesus does end this parable with an ultimate note of triumph of justice. The God's in charge, and he will get his own way. But for the living that we are doing now, he's driving us towards a certain type of living which he says, your wheat don't look like weeds. Don't take on the methods of weeds. Don't obliterate your enemy. Forgive him. And Jesus' methods and his teaching and his life continue to drive that disturbing but beautiful teaching. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. with these truths that are before us, this reality of the existence of God's good and the kingdom being born up, and the existence of evil. The central truth that in our present circumstances of the world, it's yours and mine, but our present circumstances of this world, the mystery of the kingdom, which is that this wheat, what God has planted, is growing. 
mystery of the kingdom is quite in charge and thoroughly capable of getting its own way. It is bearing fruit. And all the weeds in the world can't lift a finger against it. That's the good news of what Jesus is doing in this, world, in this parable and in this world. So I encourage you, as you read this parable, if you even want to see it, Jesus teaches this parable. Immediately, he tells two more parables of talking about this kingdom that cannot be stopped. A seed that is planted, but it takes patience, and it's going to grow like a tree. And all those who are crying out for justice, the birds of the air will find their nest in that tree. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast and a little bit that's put in dough, and over time it's going to spread everywhere. And there's nothing anyone can do to stop it. That's what Jesus said immediately after this parable. May we be encouraged with what God is doing. May you have to breathe in as you face and see the brokenness in this world in you and grab onto the hope of God's work that is alive and active in you. And Jesus said, seek it. Seek after that. So as a response, uh, Marty, if you want to come up. Well, as you have in you, as you wrestle with this, may the Spirit of God lead you and guide you. This is a way to interpret this, as there are many to wrestle with what Jesus has for us today with this. I pray that God would lead us to be those who have ears to hear and to apply. And so may we do so. A beautiful application for us today is responding to the good news of Jesus. And we do that through communion. This is the way we participate in what Jesus has done. That's why we're not participating in waging war or, or going out there, but we're participating in what Jesus has done through the giving of his body and his blood. We're participating in it and saying, oh, I give myself freely, eat of me. I'm food to nourish you, to sustain you. And he says, oh, drink of me. This is for the forgiveness of sins. You're forgiven. You've got weeds. You're forgiven. This isn't up to you to annihilate all the weeds in your life. In that same way that, that the terrible chemicals that people spray in their yard to annihilate weeds and gives everybody cancer, you start doing that in life and those cancers are going to grow up in you. I lived a long time trying to do that. Where it's like, oh, I need to annihilate everything in me that looks at the essence of evil and then God will care about me. And then I'll show myself acceptable and approvable in God's sight. And it's like, oh, you've missed it. The right response to all of the weeds is to allow the wheat to grow. And that actually doesn't have anything to do with you. That has something to do with God being really, really good in you. Who loves you and wants his good to grow in you. Not by your 
effort. We're not by your earning, but by what God's doing. Doesn't mean there's not effort. God's work is going in you. And so I believe Jesus is saying, hey, let, don't get hung up on all that evil, but be wheat. Let that continue to grow. Go after that fruit. Bring healing to the ones who are hurting by the effects of evil. Raise your voice to it. We're not trying to annihilate, but speak up. To be an ally or an advocate for those who are being destroyed. This is good news as we eat and we drink and are reminded of like, oh, you're at work in every nook and cranny of this world, and that means me. You welcome us, God. You want our company. And by eating and drinking, we again say, we welcome you and your way. And so let's, let's do this together. So if you're on Facebook or Zoom, yeah, does everybody have? We're using the little packages today. There you go, Mike. Anybody else need one? Would you, hand, would you take another one there, Molly? Anybody else still need one? And so let's open this up. And there is a wafer on top. Jesus gives us everything. All of the spiritual blessings of children. Welcomes us to his table, his family. He invited us to eat of him. He reminded us of his broken body. That was torn apart. But the effects of sin, doing what sin does, destroys. And yet he says, I live and you live too. So Father, thank you for your life, that you live, and your way is not destruction, but life. And you offer us life in you. And we are tempted to go our own way and do our own things and to pursue destruction, but you offer us life, and this life is you. We welcome you, and we thank you. Let's eat. You can get this one open. There we go. At that same time, when Jesus was offering this to them, he took wine and he gave thanks to the Father, blessing the Father for the good gifts that come up from the earth, the fruit of the vine. And then he pointed to this and he said, Yes, this is a part of the fruit of the vine, but this is also a new covenant, a new reality for us. It speaks to the forgiveness of sins. It speaks to the forgiveness of evil. It speaks to the forgiveness of the weeds that are in us. That Jesus cried out and said, forgive them. And he shed his blood. And he said, drink it. I welcome you. 
And in our drinking, we welcome God's forgiveness over all of the brokenness of us. So Father, thank you for the reality of your love, for the forgiveness of sins. And you're the God who doesn't obliterate and annihilate us. But no, you forgive us and welcome us to this table. You restore us as sons and daughters from all time. And so we drink. And so, Father, would you meet us in all the conflict that we are in for my friends and family who are experiencing evil around them or even towards them. God, have mercy. Breathe on them and help. And Father, for my brothers and sisters who are so aware of all their brokenness and the enemy's whispers are just too loud. And it leads to a destructiveness and a hating of the self that has nothing to do with you. So would you silence that liar? Would you speak up in them and say, this is an enemy talking? And would you sustain us to live according to your way and to see the good fruit that you are bearing in the world and in us and to point it out all that it is and wherever it is, we pray.
One of the practices we've been trying to do on the fourth Sunday when we take communion is to offer an extension of you to take it to another person. That if you happen to know someone who might just be lonely or homebound or sick, hurting, maybe even just hurt by the church, because the church has had a long history of what they perceive to be evil going after it and trying to destroy it taking up the methods of this world in the way to bring what they think is God's good. The church has picked up the sword a lot. And if it wasn't the sword, real weapons, it was the sword of their mouth to annihilate people. Big church at large. If you know someone who needs to be reminded, who needs to know that they're still participating, that offered us that at the table is still for them, to remind them that their wheat and that God's good is still happening in them and in the world. And by Jesus that welcomes them and for them to welcome Jesus. We want to send you with the, as many of these as you need. So if you think of someone that that would just be a gift to, that just might be a kindness towards them the fruit of God's Spirit in you to remember joy and peace and patience and kindness, faithfulness, self-control. We invite you, grab a couple and, and go. We send out that offer every week for people that we have in our own community who'd be up for this. I had no one who took us up on it for this week who weren't available. But if you would like to grab a couple for somebody that you know, I know I'm going to take some for my own home, for, for Carmel, and for us to take a moment to be able to do that tonight. And so um, if there's somebody we, we welcome, we encourage, if God's even brought a little hint or whisper to your mind, um, grab as many as you need. May you go in the peace of God and the peace of God's kingdom. Have a great Sunday, and with all that talk of wheat, you should go get a sandwich or something, you know, right? So that might make everything right for this moment. Have a great Sunday.